0: Hello, MMs. This one is going to be intense. Yes. Heavy. Yes. All I- of those words. I think it's a really important story mm-hmm. to hear um, because it is going to make you feel those emotions. And I think it's such a huge topic in general, like in the United States and the world. Um, In Alaska. Yeah, specifically in Alaska. Um, We talked to Molly. Mm -hmm. Um, We know her through our friend Trina. Yep. And we are so glad that Trina... Yeah, the way we were connected was odd, but... Right. Definitely meant to be connected, for sure. (laughs) a 100%. Her story is um, is tough because it is about her son um, and just to throw a warning out um, we do talk heavily mm-hmm. about uh, suicide in this episode mm-hmm. um, yeah it was uh, it was a tough tough thing to hear but M- Molly is so um, brave and such a good speaker and yeah yeah she definitely brings you through that whole journey of the that process or yeah I don't know how to say that um you're you're definitely right there with her going through that whole story up until like her currently she's still battling those emotions you know um fighting to make it through just day by day and we just really advise you guys on sensitive, yeah, sensitive listening. If yeah, if um, you've been, if you know anybody who has been suicidal or you have been affected by by suicide, know that this episode may not be the best episode for you to listen to. Right. Um, but on the other hand of that, such such a heavy, but like you said important for all of us to be aware of that um those thoughts and feelings that i mean suicide can happen to anybody in it right um i mean i don't know about you but i absolutely have people in my life who have been suicidal or yeah i i've yeah i've been i've been around um people in my kind of i guess distant family married family um there's been a lot of suicide mm-hmm. uh scares and you know that kind of stuff on steven's side of the family for sure yeah what i what i love about this episode though and um, molly specifically is um i feel like she almost kind of understands her role now 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 that that is something that is part of her story she takes that upon herself to really make sure that other people are educated on warning signs and Mm -hmm. um, things to look out for in other people or even in yourself of yeah this is what this might be leading to here's where you can get help um i really love that 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 she took that initiative to to help others hopefully not go through this yeah and now she leads a chapter of the compassionate friends um her chapter is southwest louisiana um Mm -hmm. and it's a group a national group that basically helps people get through the loss of a child Mm -hmm. um and all like all their family members and and that um so that's really cool i mean The fact that she's taken something that was so tragic and and hard and and kind of you not used it but basically decided to help others in the same situation is just so admirable Mm -hmm. um she is she's an amazing woman and she was amazing to talk to i absolutely love talking to her yeah um emotional episode I think for both of us too cuz I I mean I tear up all the time <laughs> probably on like every episode that's ever been recorded but um I, this was I I want to say the first time that I like was honestly crying like yeah tears streaming yeah. down my face like I think so too trying to hold it together yeah to I think so like. too I I normally it's weird like when we're when we're actually recording mm-hmm. I s- for some like mythical reason <laughs> I can hold it together. Like yeah. I'm for the most part can keep myself, keep my composure, mm-hmm. uh work through it. But then every single time I listen back, oh yeah, I cry. Yeah. I'm bawling. Like yeah. but this particular episode, I I definitely did more than tear up mm-hmm. <laughs> when she was when she was talking to us. Yeah. But we are really excited that Molly um, came on and and shared this story with us, and you guys get to hear it. Yeah. Um, and just as a reminder, if you or anyone you know is struggling with suicidal thoughts, um, you can always reach out to the National Suicide uh, Helpline, and that eight hundred two seven three 273 1-800-273-TALK. So that's 1-800-273-8255. One more thing um, before we get into this episode. We realized while editing that it um, around an hour, it gets a little fuzzy. But only when we talk. Right. So Molly sounds really great throughout the whole episode. For whatever reason, something happened. We're not sure what. Maybe with the signal...
1: Mm-hmm. or something
0: because um, we were recording over the internet over skype yeah. so we just wanted to throw that out we thought that episode well we know the episode is super important so we didn't want to not release it just or release partial yeah yeah so just bear with us through that last portion when she talks it's perfectly clear yeah <laughs> so it's just us just <laughs> don't listen to us <laughs> So we was it we were looking at like our podcast stats, right? Mm-hmm. And um, the the website that we use tells us which states we have listeners in, um, and we're very very close to having a listener <laughs> in all 50 states, but I think we're shy like two or three. Two. Mm-hmm. Wyoming and Louisiana mm-hmm. was the one that we were also. And so we asked Trina, we were like, Do you know anybody in these two states? <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, I do actually. Which so she reached out to you mm-hmm. and yes. you became our listener. And then <laughs> was it Trina that mentioned, like, Hey, maybe she did say, yeah. uh, My friend Molly lives in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And not only do I think she'd love the podcast, but I think she'd be a great guest.
1: Yeah. Yeah. She told me that too. When she reached out, she said, um, there's this great podcast. Um, I work with them and, and she told me, she asked if I'd be interested in listening, do I listen to podcasts? And I, I told her I did. And, and I would definitely look it up. And she said, great. Maybe you can even be a guest on there. And I said, maybe, you know, and, um, I really didn't know, quite what it was about at first. She just told me the name of it, mental <laughs> maintenance, but she didn't like go into a whole lot of detail. It was just a quick text conversation, but um, yeah, but she's the first one that kind of was like, you might want to be a guest. Well, yeah, so. and it
0: was awesome because you reached out to us and shared a little bit of your story, and um, I'm, I think we're both really Excited to be able to share your story. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if excited is the right word. Maybe.
1: Um, it definitely falls into the theme of your podcast. <laughs> yes, definitely. Definitely yeah, So, um, I don't even know the, one of the questions you asked was where does your story begin? What a fantastic question because <laughs> who, I mean, really, like, who really knows how to answer that? Like, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. But it really, it, the more I thought about it, I was like, where does my story begin? Um, so the gist of my story began December 6th of 2013. Mm-hmm. I went to wake my son up for school, and his door was locked. And I probably should back up a little bit because his dad was out of town, my husband,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: um, his they were um the siblings on my husband's side of the family were all taking turns um taking care of of their dad because he had stem soap. Um, replacement uh for treatment for um non-Hodgkins lymphoma. So it was his turn to be in Minnesota for that week. And before he left, um he he was gonna drive his truck to the airport and leave it there. And our son, Christian is his name, he um he said, Dad, why don't you take the minivan and let me drive your truck? Um, just a little bit of history. When our kids own their own vehicles, it's our family rule that they pay for their own insurance.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: um, Christian hadn't paid for his insurance for about three or four months. So we told him he had to park his Ford Bronco, but he could still drive the minivan because I was driving my car to work and and um, Lars was taking his, his truck to work. So we had this minivan that just sat around. Um, So he did and he understood and he didn't argue with the family rule. It It had always been just, you know, responsibility teaching. And he was just about ready. Actually, he had finally gotten another job and he was just getting his first paycheck and he was probably about to pay his insurance, but it was like a week away. So he told his dad, why don't you take the minivan to Houston and let me drive your truck? And so I I told him, I said, well, yeah, why don't you go ahead and do that? Let him drive your truck. And he said, okay. So he did. Well, a couple of days later, uh, my, my other son, we have four children total, so two boys and two girls. So my other son leaned over to me. It was late at night. And he said, mom, I forgot to tell you that the sheriff called today. And I was like, the sheriff called? That's a pretty significant telling me and he was like <laughs> yeah I forgot and I was like and he said he was just looking for you or dad and I was like okay but it was already like nine at night
2: right. so
1: I called him the next morning and that by then this was Thursday and he said uh do you know do you have all your vehicles and um, accounted for and I said yeah um I said my husband left one at the airport in Houston but as far as I know it's still there and I said what are you calling about and he said well yesterday I was out and there was this this truck stuck in a field and um and it was just by itself so he said I went and ran the plates and it came back with y'all's name and I said well I said we did sell a vehicle a few months back. So I wonder, I thought we changed the plates, but I wonder if not, cause I was still thinking like my husband's truck is sitting in the front yard. Like, you know, yeah. well, I mean, anyway, it was accounted for. So I couldn't think that it was not anyway. So he, he said that it was stuck out there and um, he had run the plates. So he told me exactly where the, the he had found it so I went out there and I saw the ruts or whatever and I took a picture of it and I sent it to my husband and I said, Well, I think that your son took your truck four a wheel and without your permission. And, <laughs> he said, and I said, you know, I'ma let I'm gonna let you handle this because if it was me, if it was me and my Camaro and he took my Camaro racing, I would want to handle this. So I'm gonna let you take care of it. <laughs> and he said, Okay, so he just Sent christian a picture of the ruts and and um christian came back with a question mark and he goes you don't recognize these and um, <laughs> he, and and so at first he kind of denied it but then but then this story came out you know after he was at, after he came home from school and work and it came out and i had told him i said you know i'm i'm really not that worried about the truck i said What I'm worried about is the fact that it didn't belong to you, and and you and you can't just treat people's things whatever way you want to because you want to. It it doesn't belong to you. I said, and I'm a little puzzled why you don't find the reason to apologize for this. You know that you just think that you didn't do anything wrong. I said, I guess that's what I'm more upset about than the fact that you took the truck four wheeling, and um you know, at the end of the day, um his dad said, well, you know what, I'll be back on, on Sunday night, and so Monday morning, you, you'll have the van back, so why don't you just ride the bus tomorrow to school, and that'll, that'll be it, and we'll, you know, that'll, we'll just park the truck and, and just leave it, and he said, he was upset about it, and then he said, um, well, can I ride with my friends, and I personally I I thought that maybe he should have been able to ride with his friends but my husband was making a point and I and I appreciate that we're parents you've got to yeah. you to set boundaries and um so he said no he goes I want you to ride I want you to ride the bus I love you and I want you to have a good night and he said well it's not going to be a good night and that was his last words Hmm.
0: How old was Christian?
1: He was 18 and a half. He was halfway through his senior year. Um, we had already ordered all of his invitations. Um, Had his senior pictures done. All of that. Um, so we all went to bed he was up in his room and so when i went to wake him up for school the next morning the door was locked and i knocked on it and it's not unusual to have to knock on his door several times cuz he he never slept which i'll get into that more later but he never slept but when he finally would fall asleep it was so hard yeah. and so we would have to, like, try, like, wake him up really hard, and um so after the third time of, like, knocking on the door saying, Christian, time to get up for school, um, I knew that, you know, I was thinking that he was probably behind the door, like, waiting for me to open it and, like, kind of just give me that look, you know, like, leave me alone, mom, I'm up. Yeah but I couldn't open his door to make sure. So, um, our other son, Lucas, he, um, he brought his little pocket knife and he, and he jimmied the door for me and I opened it and, um, he was there and he was, um, hanging from his bunk bed. And I just, Luke I pushed him because he was already behind me but I pushed him back get out get out because I didn't want him to have that vision and I couldn't find my phone because I had been downstairs on it and so I found it and I called 911 and I was on my phone with them and I was trying to pick him up and, like, get him loose. And I was on the phone, and I was just screaming for help, you know. I was asking him, and and she said, she was so calm. And she said, ma'am, if it's what you think it is, you need to leave him. She said, go downstairs and wait. For the police. And um, and I had to stay on the phone with them. So you're not thinking clear. And so I told Luke, I said, You gotta call your dad. And um by then my oldest daughter. Has woke up and come downstairs cause she she was already out of school and she worked late at night, so she always slept late. And um, so she had come downstairs because there was commotion and so my little boy is calling his dad to tell him that his brother's gone. Yeah. And I'm on the phone with the police and I can't hang up, so I mean, how do you do that? How you how do you have like? But my husband says that he knew the minute he heard his voice because Luke had called him a couple years back when he'd come back when he'd come home from school one day and he had told him that one of our dogs that he thought one of our dogs had died in the backyard and and he said he had that same voice when he was like, Dad. Mm -hmm. and um and he's so he's in Minnesota December 6th there's a blizzard
0: and he's trying to
1: get a flight out and so all day he's on standby like and he just wants to stand up and scream at somebody in the airport can somebody just give me their seat yeah Because he's trying to get home. So we both lost our son. But we each have our own grief from that for so many reasons. First of all, because we each have our own individual relationship with Christian. I mean, he was, I'm his mama. So he was my he was my son you know and and we had that mother son relationship so that's completely different than that's his daddy and that you know and and that's a completely different relationship so we're we grieve together but we also grieve that individual relationship and not only that but the trauma that each of us carry from that is completely different mm-hmm. i i had Terrible PTSD from that. Um, Yeah, yeah. And um, I had to keep his picture with me at all times. Like I had his school ID hanging from my mirror. And I, at the time, I was traveling a lot for work. So Lars framed one of his, his senior pictures and I would carry it with me because when I woke up at night, I had to see him in that in that frame so that I could get the other image out of my head Mm. yeah and and on the other hand Lars is you know he's the dad he's the head of the household this is his family and he's not there to protect us he's not there to take care of us and how devastating for him you know right yeah so it's interesting that, you know, we lost the same person and he's the closest one I can grieve with because he also lost Christian, his son, but it's mm-hmm. still, it's still our own relationships too. Yeah. So the the months that followed, you know, were such a blur. And, um, I mean, we were really broken, you know, and our kids, I grieve for them too, because they lost us, Lars and Molly, before Christian. Like, when you lose someone significantly like that, there is a before and after. Yeah. And... Who we were before, they're gone too. They died with Christian. We Mm -hmm. are different people now. And it makes me sad because sometimes I really wish that people could meet the Molly before Christian. But on the other hand, I have learned so much. So, you know, I I can only take that forward with me and and just share with other people. But... It, it it's a distinct line and everything is marked by that line before Christian yeah. and after Christian. Yeah. I can't
0: imagine being um, in either of your positions. Um, and I'm, I'm truly sorry that you had to go through that.
1: Thank you. It, um it was not we didn't have any clue we had no we had no warning signs we had no um he wasn't diagnosed with anything so and I guess I should I should take that back we didn't realize that we had warning signs looking back now there's so much evidence of warning signs but that's the problem with mental illness today yeah, is that yeah. no one talks about it and so no <clears> one is educated <throat> on what to look for and and everybody just keeps it so hush hush that there's things going on around us that could be easily diagnosed or or talked about or worked through or or treated in in the right manner but no one ever discusses it so no one ever realizes that 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 there's something that could be done when I say that is after we lost Christian we we were we talked to a therapist and we also went and saw a grief psychologist um and we when we went and saw her and we described who Christian was she um she told us, she said, we're never going to have a diagnosis for Christian because obviously he's not here to diagnose. She said, but I really think that he had hypomania, which is in the bipolar family. And he's basically when, when you look at bipolar, they have highs and they have lows. Hypomania mm-hmm. pretty much stays high all the time. Oh, and he, he, he probably had it just about all his life um he when he was a baby he did not hardly sleep i would have to crawl into his room so he couldn't make eye contact with me <laughs> because then he'd be like oh mom it's time to play and i'm like you it's 3 in the morning <laughs> I so feel like I, i've definitely done that <laughs> don't look at her <laughs> i would, all in his room and and he would he had the bumper around the crib and I would reach my hand like between the bumper and the mattress and I would find his binky and I would like put it in his mouth and I would just tap it and I and I would just like lean against his crib and fall asleep like that tapping his binky because he would be awake and <laughs> <laughs> or we would be out in the out in the living room just and he would be just laying on my chest and he would just be he wouldn't be in a sleep but he would be still but he wouldn't be in a deep sleep and and we would just lay there and when he was like two and three he got out of his crib very early so we stopped you know we just gave him a toddler bed we stopped trying to fight it and there was a couple times where he got out of his bed all the time, but there was a couple of times where I was like, Oh my gosh, this is dangerous. One time my husband was working really late at night and he called and I was upstairs. We were all upstairs in our beds. I answered the phone. Hello. And all of a sudden somebody picks up from downstairs and they're like breathing. And I'm like, Oh my <laughs> God. Like My heart froze for half a second my stomach, you know? And then I was like, Christian, get back to bed. And like, oh my God. But, but so one day um, this was still in Alaska And one day we were in Market Basket and they had those bins of like just stuff on sale, like random stuff. And we were digging through it and Lars found a motion detector like they have at Circle K, 7-Eleven, where you walk in the door and it goes bing bong. And he goes, ooh, this is a good idea. So um, we put it outside of his room in the hallway and aimed it at his door. So. He could be in his room. He could he could be playing quietly. He could do his thing. Um, because you couldn't make him sleep. So yeah. he was in his room, but the minute he walked out, bing bong, <laughs> and you could hear his feet like going across the floor and get back in bed. And pretty soon we didn't even need to say it. He just heard it and went back in his room. <laughs> That's <so funny>. yeah. <laughs> That was the only way that I knew he was out of his room was we called (laughs) it the tattletale. He had the tattletail on.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's really smart.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, but that's, that basically carried on his whole life. He, so when he was older, he would be up in his room when the rest of us were sleeping. That's when he would, play guitar, or he would do his drawings, and he was an incredible artist. And he, you know, he would draw and he would just do his thing in his room. And, um, and then he would get up and go to school. And a lot of times when he came home, he would, he would fall asleep, but sometimes he wouldn't. Um, Incredibly smart. So, there was this time where his transmission went out on his Bronco and he'd actually bought two of them. He worked all summer with my husband, saved all his cash, bought one Bronco that was running and then bought another one for parts because it's a Ford and they always break down. (laughs) (laughs) So he, if you never could find Christian, you could find him in the garage if you didn't know where else he was. And his transmission went out. He read the book on how to to rebuild his transmission, went to the parts truck, got the transmission off of it, rebuilt it. And the only thing my husband needed to do was hold it up while he screwed it in, while he bolted it in. And he, he, and then like we were laying there one in the morning and we heard his Bronco start up. (laughs) And I told, I told Lars, I was like, he got it going and he took it, took it on a test drive. And came back and he was just beaming. He was so proud of himself. But <laughs> but that, so incredible intelligence, um, very creative, and not being able to sleep. Those were all signs of it. Mm-hmm. And um, the, um, the Greek psychologist had mentioned that, like, a lot of the famous artists, um, Monet and people like that they they suffered from that as well like artists and creative people and things like that they're not everybody but she said a lot of famous people have suffered from that and have all of the same symptoms and um, and that was really striking to me because I just we just thought that was Christian. Like we just grew up knowing Christian didn't sleep and Christian did this and he was a great artist and he was so smart and he, you know, he wasn't book smart. He, because if he liked something, he got a hundred on it. If he didn't like something, then good luck trying to get him to do his work. So yeah. there's zero or a hundred, But <laughs> but he didn't, if he didn't care about it, he wasn't invested in it. But he'd read the dictionary and then use those words in conversation. So, (laughs) so um, he was diagnosed in fourth grade with ADHD and I still believe now looking back that it was a misdiagnosis right? uh, because it was probably more the hypomania and, and it actually kind of hindered the the hypomania diagnosis because when he finally was got on the medication because we kept him off of it as long as possible when he finally got on the medication and he it would wear off at the end of the day he almost sounded like his speech was almost like drunk like he would start talking really fast and and somewhat aggressive not mean like but just like confrontational sometimes and yeah we always kind of thought oh well that's that like kind of kept his energy level down all day and so once it wore off he's like hyper again that's what my husband and I were thinking because of course again we weren't educated we didn't know the symptoms so the psychologist told us later no that's the opposite like he should have fell right asleep when it wore off. Mm. Oh, okay. But we didn't know, we didn't talk about it. We didn't ask questions and nobody told us. Yeah. And, and so it, it really kind of masked the symptoms. And, um, when we were talking to our therapist and, um, not the psychologist, but the therapist, we, were telling him different things about Christian and we related this um one episode. It was right before he got on the medication for ADHD. And he it was at the very beginning of his um fourth grade year. And he the school called me and they said, you need to come right now. And they didn't tell me why, but I, I mean, I was two minutes away from the school. So I ran down there and I called Lars on the way and I said, I don't know what's wrong, but they just told me to come right now. So get in the truck and come. And, um, so when I got there, they had cleared out his classroom. It was only him and his teacher. And by then they had called, um, no, the ambulance hadn't got there yet, but he, they had called him and, he was having seizures and he oh, would no. he not stop having seizures. Like they, it was just one after another, after another. And um, thankfully his fourth grade teacher at the time had a son who, who had epilepsy. So, so wow. Christian, yeah. When Christian had walked up to her desk to, to hand in his homework, she saw the look in his eye. And she caught him on his way down. Like she knew exactly what was happening. Wow. Wow. Yeah. From the very beginning, like she said, all of a sudden I just knew it. And she caught him and they cleared the classroom out and they all went to a different class. And so he ended up um, in ICU for several days. And every time that they took him off the seizure medicine, he started having seizures again and And they did all kinds of tests and we never actually got a hundred percent conclusive answer, but they said that they, that they showed that he had had cat scratch fever, but that he didn't have it right this minute. Cat scratch fever, when children get it, causes seizures. He had had a swollen lymph node that, that I had already taken him to the doctor for, and he was on antibiotics. And then the day before the seizures, I had taken him back and said, this isn't working. And he gave him stronger antibiotics. So that's Mm. probably what he had was cat scratch fever. The significance of that is that our therapist, when we told him about that episode, he said, Christian had seizures before. And we said, yeah, but just that one time he, a year later, he got off the anesthesia medicine and never had him again. And he said, that is really interesting," he said, "because there have been studies done that that have shown that people who have had seizures in their life, um, it almost like opens up the neural pathways to make them more susceptible to bipolar and depression and things like Holy that. Holy cow! How interesting. Yeah, yeah. There, I didn't read that study. He was just telling us about it. He said that yeah. is significant he said it doesn't mean that everybody that has seizures is going to have that but if they're already prone to that if that's already there it's almost like it opens up a pathway
2: Hmm.
1: crazy yeah so the um uh hypo what was it hypo hypomania so hypomania
0: um with that, I know you said like you're basically always on a high. Do you also like not as often, but also have really low lows?
1: There I'm I'm sure that Christian had lows, um but they don't they don't go as low as like bipolar for Christian they didn't. I think his lows were just normal. But okay. they were so what, what he, what he looked like, like what we all look like normal, that would, that would have been his low, but it, they didn't last very long. Like he was just always up there. Um, but he had to have them and he must have just hid them. I don't know, but.
0: Well, and it's hard to tell with a teenager too.
1: that <laughs> I mean, that is true. Um. <laughs> That's true. Mm -hmm. I mean, who knows what's going on in there? Because they're going through puberty and all that stuff too. But um, that is the age where, um, especially teenage boys, you know, they start to to um, if they're going to have those kind of uh, mental illness, it really starts to develop in those late teens. Mm -hmm. So that's when it would have reached its its height so to speak so um it all kind of fell into play and and now looking back yeah of course we can see everything and I'm like yeah it was so evident but and the thing is too is that I'm sad that he didn't get a diagnosis because I feel like he must have just been really tired you know yeah
0: I was thinking, you know, maybe he didn't necessarily have those low lows, but I could imagine just always vibing so high and not being able to go to
1: sleep could be just mentally and physically exhausting. Exhausting. And he, and, and not to be able to talk about it because I think that's what makes me the saddest for him is Mm -hmm. that he didn't have the language to tell us like, because didn't have a diagnosis then he didn't know why he was feeling or acting or doing certain things yeah yeah and and how frustrating for him because he's like why why can't I be like my siblings or whatever I don't know he never said that but when I look back and I try to think what was he thinking it makes me sad because if he had had a diagnosis that maybe wouldn't have changed anything when when someone is suffering from depression or bipolar or if they have suicidal tendencies and and those thoughts you might be able to stop them once but if they don't get the help and they don't realize that they've got to keep fighting too and and they put in the work too because it's it's a group effort mm-hmm. then you know there's just going to be another opportunity so that, looking back, if we knew what we knew, we may have been able to stop him then, but I don't know that 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 wouldn't have just come up again at one point or another, right. We don't know, but I feel sad because I wish that he would have at least been able to have some kind of language to to know okay i'm I'm feeling this sort of way because of this mm-hmm. right. Maybe it
0: wouldn't, yeah, maybe it would feel more separated from himself. Like, this isn't me. This is this. And yeah.
1: Yeah. This is my brain, and, and my brain is not functioning, you know. It's it's sick. And that's yeah. the thing is that, you know, if his foot hurt or his he he had an ingrown toenail or something like that, he would come and tell me, how can he tell me that his brain is sick? If he yeah. doesn't know that it makes it. Yeah. 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 So. it And so I think that. That makes me the saddest for him. Mm-hmm. Because I wish he would have had the words. But. Yeah. He didn't. So. So we just. You know. As time went on. We just we did the best we could. And, um, you know, you just figure it out one day at a time, one second at a time. Um, we did find, um, a group that, um, we're now the leaders of compassionate friends and they are a support group for, um, parents, grand grandparents, and siblings who have experienced the loss of a child, and it's of any age and of any cause, but there are several suicides um, in the group. And after a couple of years, the leaders that um, had it, they had been the leaders for years and years and years. And they said, we really need a break and we've been waiting for the right people to come along. And we want to ask if you guys can take over this group for us. Um, and so we gave it some thought. and. We did it because we didn't want the group to go away, but, and it's a national group and we just have the Southwest Louisiana chapter of it, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: but it's, it's really hard too, because it's hard and it's great because part of healing is helping other people and Mm -hmm. it really takes this off of your own story. And instead of like always looking inward, it feels so much better to look outward and to figure out how, how you can help other people, but it's challenging too, because, you know, you're processing your grief and and you've got good days and you've got bad days. And you're like, right now, this is a bad day. (laughs) (laughs) And and so, you know, and sometimes I've got to do stuff for the group or Lars has got to do stuff for the group. And we just have to put our, our grief aside and just get that done but it has been really helpful. Um so we're pretty active in that and then um and what is that what does that entail uh being the leaders so we have two meetings a month um um and so getting ready for those meetings and um we put out a newsletter every quarter Um, we have two well, we actually have three big events. One of them is our big fundraiser. And then we put out, um, we have a balloon release and, um, getting ready for that balloon release, you know, get that, that takes a little bit of work and it's a walk to remember. So we put up little signs as we walk with people's pictures of their loved ones and stuff. And then in December there's the candle lighting, um, that we do. And that is worldwide. So on the second Sunday of every December, um, every, everybody does a candle lighting at seven o'clock. So in every time zone, it creates a wave of light in memory of our children. Mm. And it's great, except that that is right. Around I was gonna. Person. I was
0: <laughs> just thinking, like, yeah. it, it might even land on that day sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. It it
1: it it's never landed on that day, but mm-hmm. it's land. It's we're always right there in the middle of it. Yeah. And this year was especially hard for me because it um all the days landed, all the anniversary days landed exactly on the day that it did six years ago. So December sixth wow. was a Friday again. Mm -hmm. and you know and i fridays used to be my favorite day of the week and i hate them now i hate them just every friday is one more friday without christian you know one more week that i just spent and um then december 10th that was a tuesday that's the day we buried him so Mm -hmm. like and so trying to get ready for this candle lighting is is By the time I'm done with it, I'm I'm so emotionally drained that I just I have to take a little break and and revive myself because we do, you know, a slideshow and it's so beautiful. Yeah. But get to get the music to coordinate with the slides, you have to watch the slideshow like (sighs) Yeah. Seeing all of these beautiful faces like staring back at you and and it just kills me. And I'm like and I just want to go to bed because you know what? Six years ago my son died. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But again, it is it, it is kind of a blessing too because maybe I would just be in bed if I didn't have that commitment. So yeah. you know it's like a blessing and a curse. And yeah. you just you just wake up every day and, and figure out how to do it again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do um do your kids go to the meetings with you? They don't. And um and that's something that we don't force. Um yeah. but it it was it it was a long time before the kids could even talk about him. Sure. And um they and at that The same thing with, you know, Lars and I have our own relationship. They each had their own relationship with their brother. And um, our oldest, Mercedes, they were two and a half years apart. They were the closest in age. And then the rest of them were each five years apart. Mm -hmm. So Mercedes and Mercedes, you know, she grew up, she was kind of shy. So even though she was older than Christian, Christian was her buffer, he, she would have him go across the street, knock on the door, and and ask if her friend could come out and play. And then, I'm done. <laughs> oh, you can go now. And he would go <laughs> on his way. But they they kind of lived their whole lives like that, where he was just her little buffer, and and they had their own special relationships. So it was, it, and and she's not a real emotional person, you know. She doesn't always let her emotions out. So she grieves very quietly within herself and she doesn't really talk about it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, she, after, after he passed away several months later, she um, got kind of set up with her husband that she's with now. And um it was, at first it was just a phone call cause he lived in Georgia and she lived here, but she told me the next, it was a Saturday night and she was texting him and she said, well, he's not a very good texter. So I don't think this is going to work. <laughs> and I said oh okay well the next morning she told me I'm so tired and I said why are you tired and she said because we stayed up all night talking and I looked at my husband and I said she's gonna marry that boy <laughs> 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 we Just knew it. so um and they did they got married but um when we met him he was so sweet and he introduced himself and He, he, he said, my name's Chris. And I was like, really good to meet you. And then when we met his mom, she called him Christian. And I said, and I knew his name was Christian, but I said, do you prefer to be called Christian? And he said, well, that's what I've always been called. He said, but I thought it would be weird for you. So I just introduced myself as Chris. And I said, no, it's actually quite perfect.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. What are the chances? I know. It's not like that's like, I mean, it's, uh, I've heard the name, but it's not like super common. Yeah.
1: I know. I know. And I told him, I said, you're, you're not replacing our son, but, um, you are, you are stepping into a role that was drastically missed by Mercedes. She didn't have that buffer and and he he plays that part for her now and um I said so you don't you don't replace a son but it's so perfect that you're here
0: yeah I bet that gives you a lot of comfort knowing that she has him
1: yeah yeah and especially because they are you know they live in Tennessee so they're not not near us anymore (laughs) (laughs) yeah but he's you know, there is no replacement and there never will be for any of our children, but it's so great when, when things just have a way of working out and, it, you know, it was perfect. So we call him Christian and it's fine. It's not weird. It's, it's perfect. Yeah. But so she doesn't, she doesn't talk about him very often, but we finally got to the point where we could, you know, Share memories and share funny stories and stuff. Um, The kids did go with us to one of the candle lightings, but then after that, they told us they didn't want to go, and that was fine. They, you know, they have their own ways of expressing it. I think our youngest, Leilani, she's probably the one that talks the most about him, Mm -hmm. Um, but she was also the youngest when he died. And so she has, um, she has so many memories, but, but a lot of them are not as impactful, I think, you know, um, but some, they're still special. One time she was drawing a picture and she's a very good artist too. And the way that she drew it, you know, she drew the lines so that you could actually see like movement in the picture. And I was like, Oh, Lonnie, look, I can, you, you made it just like they were running. I said, how did you make it? How'd you do that? Learn to do that. And she said, Oh, Christian taught me how to do that. Hmm. <laughs> so there, you know, there's little memories like that. And, um, it, so we finally got to the point where we can talk about and laugh and, and share memories, but, Um, we, we took them to the psychologist and, and they didn't talk like they sat in there and didn't talk. So Mm -hmm. we didn't take it back. And we said, whenever you guys are ready, it's, it's here, it's available, it's your choice. Um, so, you know, it, it, it has to be up to them to figure out what they're comfortable talking about and what they're not. Yeah.
0: And I'm sure there's so many emotions for them just because they, you know, they are also your children. I mean, they have to that was their brother, so there's some sadness, but I can imagine there would also be some anger, um, you know, for seeing I'm, you guys go through that.
1: Yeah, it's a completely different suddenly <laughs> they're are completely different first of all like where are my parents you know (laughs) like we we have shut down so even if we're in a room we weren't there yeah you know so they they kind of had to figure it out for a little while and like Luke he um Christian Christian looked like a young James Dean, like he wore the leather jacket, he rolled his pant legs. He was, he was born. He should have been born like in the 1950s. He was just <laughs> that, the way he did his hair and stuff. So it was shortly after Christian died, and Luke was wearing his leather jacket, and um, I I don't remember what he said, but he said something about um. I don't know. He was changing a little bit. And um, it was implied that he felt like he had to take Christian's place because we were Mm -hmm. missing Christian. And um, I told him, I was like, I, you know, you do not have to become Christian for us. I said, Christian will always be Christian. And we are missing that. And we are missing him. And there is a huge empty spot in our lives. I said, but if you become christian then who's going to become luke mm-hmm. right and i said so you you can't replace him and I, and we don't want you to we we want you to be you and and we'll figure out how to you know not fall into this humongous hole that's like in the center of our room right now we um our kids they're so opposite of each other and um, they're so different. And so Lars and I, I always said that, um, that they're so opposite that they're like North, South, east, and West. (laughs) I said, so I said, my kids are my compass. They together, they give me direction. And so I have said that forever. And so then when Christian died, I said we lost ourselves, like we're broken. We we can't even navigate right now. We kind of have figured out how to find our direction without it. So then, and then (laughs) last year, not not last Labor Day, but the Labor Day before that, um, my husband gets a call on his phone, and it's a Alaska number, and he goes, "That's weird. It's Alaska." And but it it didn't have a name on it and so he answered it and he left the room. And when he came back in he looked at me that was my sister in law that had called him and she called him because she knew that somebody had to go and tell my mom and she So we had to go drive over there and tell my mom. And it was devastating. And I didn't understand it because the minute Christian died, my brother and I were very close. Of all my siblings, he was always the closest one to me. And he was there through everything. He gave me away at my wedding. and. Wow. So when Christian died, he called me, and, well, I called him. He said, what do you need? And I said, I need you here. And he was there, like, as fast as you can get a flight from um, Fairbanks to Houston. That's how fast he was here. And he did everything for me. We, um, we, we wanted Christian to take one last ride in his Bronco. Um, so the funeral home gave us the little thing that you put the casket on. But I told him, I said, I cannot drive my son to his grave. I said, someone has to do that for me. And he said, I'll do that for you. And so my point is to say he was here the entire like He thought that I was going through it. And so I, I couldn't understand how he left my mom to feel that way. But when someone decides to die by suicide, it is not because they're being selfish or they're taking the easy way out. They genuinely believe that the world is a better place without them. And that they its it's almost people say, well, that was so selfish of them. But it's really probably their most unselfish act ever. They think that they're doing us a favor. They feel that badly about their situation and what's going on. And they feel that hopeless that they really think that we are better off without them. And that's not true. And and when we talk to someone who is feeling suicidal, that's one of the first things that we need to keep reminding them is that we are not better off without them. They have to stay with us. And also, life is so fluid. What we might be going through in that moment is going to be different three days from now. It's going to be different three years from now. So it's always flowing and it takes strength and it takes energy, but we got to keep going. Yeah. Um,
0: it did, um, uh, cut out a little bit there. When, when did
1: your brother pass? It was, um, It was Labor Day of 2018. 2018. So it's been a year and a half.
0: I have to say, I think it's really important that you just explained that, because I think a lot of people who, one, um, you know, don't have any mental illness troubles or have never been around or had a family member who has had mental illness struggles, It's just so like almost society approves of of thinking that that's such a selfish act or that's where your brain immediately goes. But like you said, it's almost the complete opposite for that person in the moment.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it's and it's frustrating too for the for the people that are left behind because. You know, if somebody, if somebody, if your loved one is hit by a drunk driver and they die, you're so mad at that drunk driver, Mm -hmm. you know, commits a crime and, and your loved one, whatever happens or you're mad at cancer. But when your loved one dies by suicide, like you might be so mad at them, but that's like the person that you're missing the most too so
0: yeah so conflicting
1: it's very conflicting and so who are you going to be mad at me I'm mad at myself and Mm -hmm. you know like I was falling asleep when my son's heart was stopping when he was taking his last breath I'm down in my bed how did I as a mother not feel that like you know so so the survivors just beat themselves up because it's inconceivable for us to be mad at the person that we're grieving.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And how do you get through that? Because I mean, I
0: obviously, you know, it's, it's obvious to me, but I'm sure it's taken a long time for you to, to get to the place where you know that that's not, you know, it's not your fault at all. Um, how, how do you get through that? How do you get through that guilt?
1: Well, if I'm being honest, I don't know because I still feel guilty. <laughs> but the, I mean, there, I don't feel as guilty. I don't beat myself up every single day. Um, one of the key things that my husband and I constantly remind each other of when we when we start to say it is should would have could have those are all like swear words, those are all bad words. and we have to get in the habit of eliminating them from our vocabulary when we're speaking about Christian, when we're speaking about um, the events of that time, because like the psychologist said, when we were especially upset because you know the night before we had disciplined him. Right. And so there was part of me that was mad at Lars because I was like, why didn't you just let him go with his friends, ride with his friends? Why did you make him ride the bus? And and he's beaten himself up about it because, you know, for all the same reasons, of course, you know, and why didn't he told me it wasn't going to be a good night? Why didn't I key in on that? Those kind of things, I think. Why didn't I go check on him one more time? Why mm-hmm. didn't I go knock on his door and check on him one more time? But in the moment of those irrational thoughts, and, and, and they can go round and round and round. In those moments, the, the words that the psychologist reminded us of, I constantly remind myself of. She said, if, if December 6th had started out, differently if december 6th had started out like any other day she said would you have ever questioned your parenting decisions yeah and we wouldn't have yeah we weren't bad parents we weren't mean to him we he just made a choice that was permanent and and if if it had if it had started out and he got on the bus and did what his dad told him to do, we probably to this day wouldn't even have remembered that unless we were laughing about the time that Christian took his dad's truck (laughs) and without permission. It's like one of those stories that after a while you just laugh about and be like, yep, that was Christian. But because it ended differently it suddenly made us question all of our parenting decisions, and every time now that our children, if we say no or do something, we're like, "Are we being too harsh?" You know, it it makes you overthink everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and we have to keep reminding ourselves, we are good parents. We have amazing children. They are fantastic, and that's. Ninety five percent of their great personality and five percent because we're good parents and yeah. and OK to to make rules and it's OK to enforce rules and to have boundaries. And we can't let the guilt of of our past decisions affect how we raise our kids now. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that it doesn't affect it. It still does. To some extent, we constantly question. I don't let Lonnie's the only one at home now. Luke has since moved out, so we only have one at home now. But when Luke was here and and now Lonnie, I don't I don't let them go to sleep with their door locked.
2: Mm-hmm. Because yeah.
1: not because they don't get privacy. We always knock before we come in, but because there's that jolt of panic if I if I go to wake them up I've gone to wake Lonnie up a couple times for school and she had locked her door to change her clothes and forgot to unlock it and so it's been locked and there's that jolt of panic
0: yeah I can imagine that probably sends you right back to that place pretty quickly
1: yeah and so there's there's so many little things that if you allow it to can just overrun your life but you it's it just I guess the easiest answer for that is that it it takes constant work it takes constant
0: communication I would I would imagine
1: communication yes like there's yeah and and blunt truth like again, we have such good kids. None of our kids ever had a curfew. They just, you know, because they tell us where they're going and and when they're going to be back and they actually do that. So a couple times Luke was doing something and he was going to be late. And I said, just wake me up when you get home, please. Just, just, you know, knock on the door and, and tell me you're home. And he goes, I know, but it's going to be late and I don't want to wake you up. And I said, I just need you to wake me up, please. Yeah. And I said, I know that you're fine. I know you're safe, but I need you to do that. And when he was going places, just text me when you get there, text me when you're leaving. And he would do it and he would kind of make fun of me like in a nice way. But I said, you know what? I'm just way more overprotective and way more worried than I ever used to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and it makes me want to just grab my kids and not let them go anywhere. But I can't do that. I can't, I can't live my life like that. I can't, I can't make them live their lives like that. Yeah. Um, Cause they're still kids. So it's, it's constant work and, and reminding yourself that, you know, it, it, it's not, that's not your fault. That was just something that happened. That was a a decision that part of the hypomania, he is very impulsive. um, And I always say that if he had stopped to write a note, he wouldn't have done it. Mm -hmm. Because he would have changed his mind in the time that it took him to write a note. It was an impulsive decision. And we can't go back, so we just have to hang on and go forward. Yeah, but which I imagine
0: is really hard to do. Um, but it, it, I can, you know, it's it, it's obviously very emotional for you. But you, you, everything you're saying is is good and is helpful and. I feel like you're definitely on the right path.
1: There's still places that. That I'm stuck that, you know, we all have our places that we're stuck. Um, We haven't cleaned his room out. His room is exactly the same. Um, Almost exactly the same. the only thing that's different is about a week after he died, um, we couldn't. We were like, where are all our dishes? Like, we have no plates. (laughs) (laughs) And so my husband went up to his room and came down with, like, because he would, like, eat up there and never take his dishes down because he was an 18-year-old boy. Yeah. (laughs) So he went up there and did that. But Christian was not... Neat at all. He was he was pretty messy, and his room is still pretty messy, and the door stays shut. And um, it, I I can go in his room for a max amount of time, about five minutes, and and then I have to leave. But I mean, that's where he died, and it still smells like him. And I'm just not ready to cross that bridge. And The thing is, is that we have to be kind to ourselves too, because there will be a time when I'm ready to cross that bridge and that'll be fine. Um, I don't have to do it right now, you know, and I I think that's important to remember too in the process and while you're dealing with things and anytime, anything about mental illness, just be kind to yourself. You know, you're, I'm the only one that has to worry about that room, Lars and I. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so. and there's no right way to grieve. I yeah. mean, the, it's That's exactly right. It, it is you. You do what is best for you, and get through it how it is best for you to get through it.
1: That's exactly right. And and again, everybody, you know, the old the old theory of grief was there was the five steps, and you know, mm. you got to get step to go to the other that is not true (laughs) those five five steps do exist but you're more like a pinball hitting those five steps randomly you know it's it's, you don't go in that order It, it it's just you know one day you feel one day you feel anger the next day you're bargaining whatever but you're not they there's no sense there's no order of it and everybody hits them differently at different time periods and for longer or shorter amounts of time. And it's a really good reminder that everybody has their story. I remember after Christian died, I mean, I was always aware of people and I always tried to be kind. But after Christian died, Lars told me he was, he stopped at Walgreens to get milk. And he said, the lady told me to have a good day and he goes, I don't understand why she doesn't know that the world stopped turning. Like, how did she not understand this? And I was really aware that all of a sudden you understand that every single person that you cross your path with has a story. Mm -hmm. And if they're talking rude to you that day, it might not be their personality. It might be that they just got the worst news of their life or the cashier at Walmart didn't smile at you or, or, you know, wasn't friendly to you. It might be because she wants to be home with her kids or she's going through a great loss or she's grieving the loss of a child or a spouse or whatever, but you know what? She can't afford not to work. And so she has to be there. And so. But that particular day, the grief is like right there at the surface, and one thing is gonna set her off. And just it helped me to be more understanding of everyone's situation and be more compassionate and not take everything so personally because it really is not about me. And almost like 0.01% of what I experience in a day is probably about me the rest of it is everybody else and what they're carrying and what they're doing with.
0: Yeah. It's a really good reminder. Yeah. That's yeah. That, that was, yeah, I think that's a really important thing for everyone to, to know and understand. And that's, I mean, that's definitely not something that I really felt and learned until I was, I mean, just within the past couple of years. But I'm sure once you go through something like that, it's even more
1: prevalent. Yeah, yeah. Well, like I said, I mean, I was always a nice person. I tried to be kind and polite and stuff, but I was so much more aware of it. And the other thing was, like, all of a sudden, I was so aware of how people talk to their kids. And it makes me crazy. Like they're having a bad day, which I get, but they start like yelling at their kids or something. And I just want to be like, stop yelling at your kids because you could get in a car accident on the way home. And that's the last thing they heard you say. Yeah. Yeah. Like just be more aware of the moment and, and live deliberately, like make a choice. This is what I'm going to do today. And, and, and these are the people I'm going to love. And this is the the people that I'm going to surround myself with.
0: Yeah, that's powerful.
1: But I don't, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know where to go from there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I,
0: I think what you're doing, I mean, I guess, what is the name uh, again of the, the group that you're um, the chapter leader of? You said it's national.
1: Yeah, it's national, and they have a national website, so you can go on that website and find a chapter near you. It's the Compassionate Friends. And so our group is the Compassionate Friends of Southwest Louisiana, Um, but there are, I think, four or five chapters just in Louisiana alone. I don't know if there's any in Alaska. Um, I know there's at least one in Hawaii, Um, so you just have to go on, um, it's the, it's www.compassionatefriends.org and just put in your state and, and it'll pull up the groups in your state. Okay. Yeah, that's really cool. And
0: I, is there anything that, um, you said you guys normally do stuff to like raise money and, and that kind of thing. Is there, is, are there ways to like donate or is it like what would be the best way to support that group
1: well the the group itself you can donate straight to the group in fact i think that the i think that the website has um a donate here button or you can mail your donations in or uh, and that's the national one or you can mail donations like straight to our group um you know, just for our funds. So each, cause each group is kind of self-sufficient and then, mm-hmm. and then we have to like pay, um, you know, a small percentage of our funds that we raise to the national group. Um, mm-hmm. and the, some of the things that we benefit from the national group, they have, um, they have regional conventions, they have national conventions. Um, we go there and they have, um, for the leaders they have a whole day just with you know classes or or sessions that we can take that kind of help us in leading the group Mm -hmm. um and then the next couple days are for everyone that wants to comment is part of part of their local chapter and they have they break them down into sessions and um all different topics, tons of different topics. You know, infant loss. Um, there's even a sibling group. Um, they like a sub chapter for the siblings. And um, so, some of the some of the sessions that I've benefited the most from actually were going to panels to hear um, how children talked about, you know, their their perspective once their sibling died, because, you know, they did, there was a time period where you're, they're almost the parent in a sense. Right. Know? Yeah. And, um, so hearing their perspective, because my kids don't always talk to us about it. I really appreciated going to those because I know my kids are feeling that they just may not feel comfortable telling me that. And right. I, I understand too, that and a lot of people say this but i think my kids do it as well where they say well i didn't want to bring him up because i didn't want to make you sad yeah and what i always remind people is that everyone who who lo- loses someone but especially parents who have lost a child we want you to say their names because our biggest fear is that they'll be forgotten and so ask them, you know what? I was thinking about Christian the other day. There was this little memory or how are you doing? Um, I know you're missing Christian. You know, it's okay to say their name. And I always remind people, you're not going to make me sad. You're not going to remind me that I lost my son because I never forget that. Yeah. But when you ask about it, it actually makes me happy. It, it warms my, my spirit that you're, thinking about him that you're thinking about me that that you want to say his name out loud
0: yeah that's a good reminder because I think yeah from the outside it is easy to not want to bring yeah things up like that because you assume that it will do more harm than good yeah yeah yeah
1: and not every day is a day that we want to talk about You know, we don't want to get into some of the the sad stuff because you know what, my makeup looks really good, and I don't want to. (laughs) to (laughs) But on the other hand, you know, it it doesn't always have to be sad. It can just be a little something. It just it just warms your heart. And and I'm not saying that that has to be all the time, every day. But it's it's a good reminder to not be afraid to say their name, not be afraid to bring them up. Yeah. Definitely. Because they love that. Parents yeah. love that. And and on, and honestly that it always feels a little bit like because they're not talked about, because people make such a deliberate effort not to say their name because they're afraid to hurt you, that it's 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 that silence is, is worse
0: mm-hmm.
1: than mm-hmm. them up.
0: Well, thank you so much, Molly, for um, one, getting in connection with us and just sharing this this part of your life with us and our listeners because I like I said, I think it is and you mentioned before, you know mental illness and there's so much stigma around it and it's hard for people to talk about it. I think it's a very relevant, and important topic to talk about. So we're really honored and appreciative that you were willing to share this part of your story.
1: Thank you for for having me and listening. It was, it's not easy to always talk about it, but I think it's so important. And I I just love that you guys are doing this. I love that, that any, any platform that people can start to just talk about mental health in a, in a normal environment is, is wonderful. It's, it's that it's one step closer to taking that stigma away because it really is still there Mm -hmm. yeah um we definitely definitely... you know people i just realized somebody told me the other day really briefly part of it is still there because especially for suicide because so many people think that their life insurance won't pay if they if they put suicide on the death certificate and i'm Mm -hmm. like i didn't think about that so many people just are like, can you say it's natural causes or accident or something like that? Because they're afraid of that one little thing, you know? Yeah. yeah. And that's not as true as it used to be. Mm. So, you know, most, most I can't speak for all of it, but a lot of them will pay now. And so it that used to be the case, you know, way back when, but it's not the same anymore. And we just yeah. we have to keep talking about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely.
1: Um,
0: we definitely want to help, uh, share, um, your group and everything. So, um, we'll definitely have to get maybe a link or something or is, is there something on online that, that specific to your chapter, would be, um, be able to
1: so share our with us? Chapter, absolutely. So our chapter is we're on Facebook. It's the Compassionate Friends of Southwest Louisiana. Um it's a public um page there. So um yeah, definitely like it, share it, invite your friends to like it. And um the national group has a Facebook page too as well as their website. So awesome. yeah um
0: well uh we will (laughs) i guess segue to the question um you had asked uh marissa our our previous guest you had asked marissa uh knowing that abuse and abusers have very distinct patterns and character. uh sorry (laughs) messing up uh have very distinct patterns and characteristics and having experienced that firsthand, do you find yourself picking up and recognizing those traits and characteristics when you meet people or are introduced to someone? Do your instincts and sixth sense kick in and you recognize the pattern immediately even though they are not necessarily in a relationship or interacting with you? And Marissa was very excited to have her first question. (laughs)
1: Um and I loved she, her story. It was great by the
0: way. <laughs> okay. Yeah. She she's great. Um she uh she responded after my experiences I was always very cautious and watching newer people in my life to see if there was something if there was ever something off about how they were acting, because I didn't want to be victimized again. One of my best friend's boyfriends exhibited very weird behavior and generally made me uncomfortable. turns out he was also doing heroin. I'm not sure if it's really a sixth sense, but I do believe I know what to look for, and I always speak up if something seems off with someone.
1: That's awesome.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So thank you for asking her that question. Like I said, she was really excited.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Her story was... um... I mean she related it so well and I appreciated it. It I Mercedes, I have a history of of an abusive relationship um, myself and we don't have to spend any time on that, but <laughs> that's why I asked her because her especially her first relationship, I really related to that. And um I feel like when I meet somebody, I feel like they have an aura. I can tell almost instantly. And I always tell my husband they're an abuser, and you know what? It always turns out that we're correct. Oh, wow, that's crazy, crazy. But because because those because the characteristics and the patterns are always the same. Mm-hmm. They may they may exhibit it a little differently. Like some of them may just stick to verbal or emotional abuse versus the physical, but it's the same. And I feel like it's just this bubble that that's around them it's wild do you pick
0: up on like their their body language and their inflections when they talk and and that kind of stuff
1: i i honestly can't put my finger on it mm-hmm. but it's my gut like mm-hmm. i feel it deep inside me and i i it's i can't even turn my back to them wow see. yeah and it's and I I feel it almost instantly. And I just know, like, that's a person that I, I can't turn my back on. And, Mm -hmm. and I, and I really cannot put my finger on it. And then we'll hear about something that happens or something, or something comes out later on. And Lars and I'll be talking about it. and, And we'll be like, it's weird. You knew it, but you, it, you, there. it's not necessarily something that you can say it's this and this and this about them that makes me not feel good. It's just, right. it's just in the pit of my stomach. And I'm like, I, I, they're an abuser and I can't turn my back on them. Crazy. Yeah.
0: Well, again, we are just, we're so um, honored and thankful that you, that you came on here and you were so open and raw and honest. We really appreciate it. We think this is going to help a lot of people.
1: I I hope so. Like I said though the only thing we can do right now is just give Christian a voice and he was really so loving and he he was always the one that would hug people and you know just <laughs> he He was always the giver and, and I don't, and he never really took back from anybody, which is probably why he, you know, was sad at, at some point, but yeah, he would have wanted us to give him a voice. Yeah. This would have been important to him. So that's what we do. We talk about it and I'm grateful that you let me talk.
0: Well, we're grateful to be your platform today. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Hey, MMs. Thanks for joining us once again on Mental Maintenance Monday. We wanted to take time to remind you that your story deserves to be told. That's right. And you can always reach out to us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at M Podcast or email us at mmpodcast1 at gmail.com. We love you. Bye.